Welcome back to another episode of Iron Sharpens Iron. We on Iron Sharpens Iron believe that who you surround yourself with matters, and at the heart of this belief is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Back again on another week. I was Indeed. I, I think I said it before. I always want to like enter this with an Australian accent. Yeah. Like, full Matt just, Brad into just it. Just total Matt Welcome Brad. back to Pints of the Quack. <laughs> nope, we are not him. Yeah, we are this not, is him. not This that. is not so. that. This is Iron Sharpens Iron. But and, someday, someday. <laughs> But yeah, and we are out of St. Paul's Newman Center. Yes. And I don't think this entire time we've had this podcast, we dedicated one to St. Paul. No, we haven't. We have not talked about our dear patron who yeah. undergirds all of our great efforts for mission and evangelization. So yes. today and is that day. The Today is that day, and it is, a, it is a great day. And I don't think there was anything really specific. We were just talking about what we wanted to talk about. And like, yeah. And I, Let's I, bring up St. Paul. We wanted to talk about more about saints and... I know we had an episode, I think like our second episode, we talked about saints in general and about the yeah. process of becoming a saint, but it's like, let's get into into some great saints. And, yeah. you know, on the top of our list, I think we got St. Paul here. So Yeah, I mean, it, in some ways, he, in my mind, he always gets overlooked, uh, which is odd, right? Because yeah. you go, you read the New Testament, he wrote like the majority of the New Testament, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. like chapter and verse and just sheer content. Uh, he's he's the most prolific author in that. Um, yeah. So much of our, our theology comes from his writings. Uh, so much of that, um, you know, public revelation uh, comes from the writings of Saint Paul. And and frankly, we wouldn't have probably converted to Christianity without Saint Paul because of the just the sheer scope of his mission yeah. and how far and wide that he went. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great apostolic missionaries and things, especially in the early church, but. Uh, what St. Paul did in terms of preaching the gospel and spreading it to, um, you know, most of the known world at the time in terms of the Roman Empire and, and ringing around that Mediterranean coast and things like that. Uh, it's hard to imagine that the gospel gets as much purchase without his efforts. Yeah. Um, but yet, yet uh, we, we pay so much more attention to those maybe more modern saints or ones that um, have touched us personally in some way, you know, because St. Paul goes back to the beginning, if if you will. Yeah. Um, so I, I think anyway for myself, I overlook him. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, yeah, like you were saying, like definitely overlook him. And I think it's because I don't even know how many people actually know how much of the New Testament is written by St. Paul in his letters because I was talking to a Protestant friend of mine. He's not like super serious in, in his faith, I don't think by, by any means, but um, he doesn't... Um, uh, I don't think he's, he studies it that, that often, right. but at the time, especially because we were both freshmen in college at, at this time, and we at the old Newman Center, we used to have a big painting of the conversion of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember that or, or anything. It was in the, yeah, the social hall, and there was yeah, the big painting. Yeah. And I remember one time there was an event there, and he's like, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, that's the conversion of St. Paul. That's the, the painting of it. And he looks at me, and he's like, I'm Lutheran. I'm like, it's it's in the well, Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, it's still the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can claim so, him. Even Lutherans can claim Saint Paul. Yeah, I'm like yeah, it's yeah. just uh, it's in the Book of Acts. I mean, you can you can see it. You can read it. Uh, he wrote most <laughs> of the New there. Testament. And he's he's uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I remember talking to him about that. and I thought that was funny. And it's like, yeah, no, he does go overlook, and he is a huge yeah. part of uh, of the church. And yeah. uh, without him, I don't I don't think without his yes, I don't think we'd really like where would we be without him? Yeah, and, it's it's hard to really fathom, and, and thankfully we don't have to because. Uh, he was knocked down on the road to Damascus and uh, converted to Christianity from Judaism, and the rest is history. Yeah, and I mean, even looking at like 
his early story of just everything he had to go through. Yeah. Um, and reading about his history, and we'll talk about that as we go on, but just reading about it, it's like multiple times over the course of his life, he could have turned away from from God and turned yeah. to, you know, fame and fortune or what have you, and he he could have done all that. And no, he's, he's stuck true even in the, the painful times. So let's, let's talk about that yeah. a little bit about his history. Uh, what, what can we um, learn from well, St. Paul? What, what, where's his start at? Yeah. So, I mean, he was, he was born, um, you know, uh, to basically a, a father of a Roman citizen. So he himself was a Roman citizen, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin and his, his given name was Saul. Right. And, and I think this was really common, uh, especially in Hebrew cultures, they would give a name according to their family line. And if you know your Old Testament and you go back, the first king of Israel was King Saul, the, the king just before King David. Um, and so Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So there you have your connection, right? That, that this, this young boy was named Saul after, you know, the great King Saul in the Old Testament. And uh, he was raised in the Jewish tradition. Um, Gamaliel was uh, a really famous um, you know, uh, rabbi at the time, and so uh, he received his tutelage and instruction under Gamaliel, and so he was accustomed and trained in, in all of the Mosaic teaching and law, and, uh, and you see this come through then when we get to the New Testament, right? And you have the early church, and uh, you know, it's starting to preach boldly the resurrection of Christ, and here there's this man, Stephen, he's a deacon of the church, listed as one of the, the first uh, deacons that were ordained. And uh, the crowd was enraged against him and stirred up, and they eventually stoned Stephen. And at the, the sort of the feet of the man who, they would lay their cloaks at the feet of, of Saul, the man who's sort of stirring up the crowd and basically um, fomenting this, this rage against the early church and the Christians. And so much so that Paul went and got letters, uh, if you read through Acts, um, to go and arrest a bunch of Christians in Damascus. So he went, you know, to the synagogue and to the Pharisees and, and got basically letters of approval to go and, and arrest these. It'd almost be like an arrest warrant, you know, to go and put in chains and bring them back for, for trial um, in the synagogues. And so uh, on the way then he gets, uh, of course, this, this, this fantastic image of Jesus. Um, the risen Christ, the blinding light and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he was blinded for a number of days. And eventually he was healed and, and then was um, brought into the church and then okay, became you know, one of the great missionaries. So that's like in a nutshell, the, the history and the story of Paul's life. Um, what what kind of strikes me about it, though, is you know, there's this great temptation in our own day and age to go with the current of what is popular and powerful. And so if you think about the Jewish culture at the time, this little fledgling community uh, of Christians that were claiming that, that the Jesus of Nazareth, who had a great following, right, uh, but was put to death, crucified, and uh, the claim that he rose from the dead, the Jews rejected. Right? And it was only after this bold preaching of the apostles, after the resurrection and after Pentecost, that people started to believe and were baptized and brought into the church. But it was still pretty small, proportionally speaking. It's very easy for us, uh, human nature-wise anyway, that, to just go with what is easy and what is maybe the majority norm 
rather than go with the truth. And I think St. Paul can be instructive in this way because what was happening at the beginning of his story was just that thing. He was, he was kind of uh, at the head of you know, the, the prevailing political um, you know, sentiments of the time and say, hey, we got to get rid of these Christians. That would have been an easy position to stay in, but he didn't. He actually went exactly the other way. Now he had some compelling reasons to do so. You know, he literally had an encounter with the risen Christ. So, okay, mm-hmm. that'll, that'll probably do it. But <laughs> Yeah, but no, yeah. even so, it's like in our own lives, like for me personally, I know um, just with, with arguments, with just silly things, whatever it be, like how often are we like just persuaded by our own opinion, even when in the middle of the argument we are proven wrong? Yeah. It's how tempted are we just to still argue our point of reason, even yeah. if it was proven wrong? And especially for someone who has such such a large backing, he could have said, no, this never yeah. happened and still gone with it. And he still would have, um, you know, he probably would have lived, you know, a pretty peaceful life after mm-hmm. that. And, you know, there probably would have been no yeah, problem. Like, you know, and riches too. I mean, especially the Pharisees, they, uh, they were known to be actually quite wealthy. Yeah. So um, it, it wasn't even that he would have had some mean position here, like of, of low means, but that he probably would have grown into great wealth and, and notoriety and prominence um, in the very political religious culture of the day, but but he didn't. He followed the truth, mm-hmm. right? He went with this uh, encounter, and it, it's interesting because even the the twelve apostles were very hesitant when they first heard about his conversion, and it was reaching their ears, and they were hesitant to welcome him in. And there was a lot of chatter about, hey, wait a second, isn't this the same guy that stoned Stephen and was persecuting the, the, the brethren? Mm-hmm. Like, how can we trust that this isn't a trick? Yeah. <laughs> so and- his reputation was, was known by, by those within the church. Um, but, but just how, how amazing that is that he humbled himself in, in sort of light of all this evidence. Uh, and that leads me to, I think, a really important point about the life of St. Paul, and that is uh, his first missionary companion, St. Barnabas, right? Yeah. So Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. Um, so Barnabas was sort of the first to take Paul under his wing and sort of stand up for him uh, in the church and vouch for him. And then on their first missionary journey, as it started out, it was very much Barnabas at the, the head and the lead of it. But then something happens, kind of a switch that happens mid-missionary journey where all of a sudden Paul is no longer called Saul. He's called Paul, and he's now mentioned at the head. So he's sort of, I don't know if you want to call it in charge, but he's the more prominent voice in their missionary journeys. And again, nothing to detract from Barnabas and the the work that he was doing. but, But without Barnabas, son of encouragement, right, you don't get Paul. Yeah, and, and that's always something I, I take to prayer and reflect on is that who are those those sons of encouragement? Who are those encouragers in my own life that encourage me to go after the apostolates and the mission and the things God's calling me to do? Even even some of those things being very difficult and hard at, at great cost and expense to me. So, um, so I don't know. That's just something I, I sit with often and pray about. Is I who are those people? Because we all need them. We all need those sons of encouragement. Uh, those people in our lives that are gonna gonna help us along the way, so that we have courage to do what God's calling us to. Yeah, none of us are in this uh, in this mission alone. Um, and if you find if you are are thinking about it, and you're like, maybe I am in this mission alone. Go find somebody. Go uh, go be that encouragement to someone else, maybe, or go 
um, you know, find a good Bible study and maybe you can talk to a spiritual director and just find that person who can encourage you because having someone in this mission is, I mean, you look at like St. Paul, everything he's done and the great work that he's done and even other great saints of, of the church, you look at them and they, um, a, a good majority of them have those people they can point to that encourage them right. to, uh, preach the gospel and to continue on with it because yeah. it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. I don't think it ever it, will be easy. And it's just something that's, that you need. Yeah, you do. Cause it, and, and, and to preach it boldly, right? When you read through acts of the apostles and read through Paul's letters, I mean, this is a man who was entirely preoccupied with Jesus Christ and the gospel I mean, entirely. This was his whole life. Yeah. And, and then I use that as an examination of conscience too a little bit is, okay, in my state in life, right, given that we're all called differently to different things, right? We all have a unique vocation and calling in the Lord. But am I so wholehearted in what God has called me to do as, as Paul was so whole, wholehearted in his, his missionary journeys? And, and it's always a gut check because I usually don't answer all, all that much in the affirmative when I sort of compare and contrast. And not as a way to sort of beat myself up, but just to ask the question, well, how can I be more like him? How can I, how can I suffer through this, that, or the other thing in order to advance the gospel, whatever it is, whatever the situation? Um, I think that's, that's my main takeaway with him is, is if he did this and he was such a great witness, I too can endure this discomfort, or I too can endure this uh, you know, persecution mm-hmm. or the cost that something like, you know, I, um, you know, have the money talk at home, you know, the, the household finance talk, you know, my wife and I, and we'll, we'll have this talk. And I have this like clinging nature to the, the, the mo- money that God has entrusted to me sometimes. And sometimes he's like, I, you know, I gave that to you for a reason and not, not to squander it and to blow it, not to hoard it, but to use it according to my will. And so like, even just in those simple matters, am I letting go either being not, you know, too concerned on one end or just too frivolous on the other, right? Mm-hmm. Am I just sort of having this, this holy and responsible detachment to what God has entrusted to me, knowing that he'll provide for what I need, but it's so that I can give it away in the right manner. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, even, so you have your, your times of suffering. And I think those times of suffering where, where we feel like we have nothing. So say you you can't even make that those finance talks because you don't have anything right and it's like those times i feel like it it can even be easier i think to follow christ and lean on him because he's all that you have to lean on yeah well as when you start being blessed with something where you where where you can say like where do i put this do i give this back to the church do what do i do with this and i think um i don't know just again looking to saint paul and i think it was an acts i want to say 14 or 17 um i think i have it written down I don't know. I didn't write it down. Acts 14, I think it was. Yeah. Him and Barnabas, they're preaching to the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And these Greeks start worshiping them as, as yeah, gods, as, gods, as yeah. Zeus and, and uh, Hermes. Uh, Hermes, yeah. Which and one of you? Paul, he's Hermes. Paul is Hermes because yeah, he's, he's preaching. Talking, and yeah. then Zeus is. And <laughs> yeah. it's like these are their Greek gods. Like I'm sure everyone has heard this. Zeus yeah. and Hermes, these Greek gods. And it's like they're ready to give everything to them. And it's yeah. like and just worship and bow down at them. But they yeah. tear their garments and like, no, no worship no, no, our yeah. god. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like point that like they they ha- they've had their moment of conversion, and you have that. But then still along that mission, you can find yourselves in times of t- temptation, where maybe you feel like you have everything you, and you don't need to lean on God. Yeah. But they show you right here, like no, just 
push, give it all to God, even, even in those times of temptation and what could have been very easily been greed. Yeah. And so, so I think one safe takeaway we can take from this podcast then is that, uh, that Paul was not preaching the health and wealth gospel. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, take note, Joel Olsteins of the world. Um, yes, the gospel is not to make you filthy, filthy rich. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real temptation, right? Like, they could have been kings, nay, gods, you, yeah. know, uh, uh, you know, in, in this instance. But, but because his heart was so fixed upon Christ and preaching the gospel, it, it, it probably never even occurred to them. I and mean, it was, I imagine it was instantaneous, this tearing of the garments and saying, no, 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 don't worship us. Worship the one true God. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the heart that every apostolic missionary, every missionary, uh, which is all of us, we all have a mission field somewhere, um, that's what we should all have. Our heartbeat should just beat with that. And, uh, and I liked what you said, too, about just it being you know, sometimes it's easiest when you don't have anything mm-hmm. um, because there's less choices to make. When, when you're faced with lots of choices, uh, whether they're material choices or otherwise, it can be a lot harder. You have to have some discernment in that, and that's other. That's the subject matter for many other podcasts. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's critical though to to know like to think with the mind and the heart of Christ. Um, which I mean, I, on the topic of Saint Paul, read through his letters if you want to know what that is, what does that look like to have the mind and the heart of Christ. That's a lot of what he talks about. Yeah, and I know we just talked about him um, being almost worshipped as a god here in this instance. But, but, I mean, we can also look. He, This mission was, um, and he suffered a ton during he it. He did. And, you know, I think that's just another point of the re- reality of Christ. Um, most times when you start a religion, you don't do it for to be stoned or to be beaten. Right. And mostly if, if you're going to proclaim a mission of a church, you're not going to do it where you're going to be martyred for that. Right. And this is exactly what Paul did. And you, you can see many times through, I don't know, did you find the list of, uh, yeah, of, yeah. of it's, times? It's uh, it, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I always have to like eventually Google this because I'm like, I know it's in here somewhere. You yeah. know, um, I wish I could be like one of those Christ, like those charismatic Christians that remember every, every single Every thing. chapter and verse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am not a, a numerical index in my head. Like I can yeah, remember I can. like the summary of a lot of the passages, but oftentimes I have to go up and look chapter and verse up. Yeah. But um I'm getting better. So <laughs> it's in a, yeah, it's in second Corinthians chapter 11. And, and he's just kind of like giving almost like a resume of, of why you should listen to him. Right. And, and why he, what he is saying is of authority, you know, uh, because they're having this saying, well, you haven't, you, you're not as good as this guy, or you haven't done this other thing as, as that guy. And, uh, and it says, uh, far greater, uh, Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from, all, from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And then he goes on to say that, you know, I boast in my weakness. 
So, but it did that, that, that whole long list, I mean, he was basically recapping all the major trials and sufferings of these missionary journeys that he had been on. And, and he penned Second Corinthians sort of kind of on the tail end or during or his uh, third missionary journey. So at that point, he had, he had made basically done 12 years of mission work and, and traveled more or less the known Roman Empire, you know, the known world. And so he's writing that saying like, this is, I've kind of been through a lot for this. Like I've put my whole life on the line for it. Um, this was not something he was just going to walk into and, and gain from. Like he was pouring his whole life out as a libation uh, for this gospel. Yeah, no, yeah. He's really, you know, putting his entire life into this. And it's, it's just inspiring for me to see and look at. And again, he's one of those overlooked um, saints just because I think he... I mean, we, we look at the Bible, and obviously, for good reason, we look just, just to the Gospels, and um, that's exactly what he's proclaiming, is going out mm-hmm. and sharing this message and being such a pivotal person for the growth of the church, and um, especially to the known world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And so so maybe that that it begs a certain question, of what was it that he was preaching? You know, I mean, because, um, you know, you go out, and, and principally, it's the resurrection of Christ, Right. But when you read his letters, there's more content there than, than simply some, some historical events. He starts actually in his letters unpacking sort of the deeper connotations and meaning of this. And, and I think he, he draws out um, kind of two things, like two main themes through his, his life and his, his writings uh, in the New Testament. And, and you'd have to really, uh, this is a lifetime of study to really dive into this and um, sort of understand it, but it comes down to that on one sense, objectively speaking, that we're justified and redeemed by the blood of Christ through his sacrifice on the cross, right? But then on this subjective element of it, we as each individual person, each man, each woman, has to make this objective reality of what Christ has done on the cross his or her own. So we have to have it Christ dwelling within us that his life becomes our life. And the key to doing this is faith and grace, right? So it's by faith and through grace that we allow this Christ life within us. And from there then corresponds the whole moral life, right? That we live well, we, we do the right thing, you know, we reject immorality, we choose the fruits of the spirit rather than the, the fruits of vice, you know, and, and cultivate the, the good fruits in our life. And, um, you know, we treat others as, you know, Christ would, would have treated them. And, um, and so it's this Christ life dwelling in us. So, so it's kind of like this twofold thing, right? So Christ did this for us, but you now must live it in your lo- own life. You must allow this grace to be operative in your own life so that you could do all the good works that he has in store for you. So what I'm hearing you saying, is it by faith alone? Or no. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, yeah. Because you can't to stop. Ha- like faith is, is, is for something, right? Faith is, is not an idea. It's, it's embedded in uh, it, you know, actions, really. It, mm-hmm. it engages the will at some point. Yes, we profess what we believe, but from that belief flows a lived life which is works, right? Yeah. The good works. I mean, that's the simplicity. And even, I mean, the, the, the Catholic Church and the Lutherans, uh, where this great divide eventually 
split 500 years ago, they, they came to some agreement that says, yeah, actually, we weren't really saying the different things. And like, we, we, we believe more or less the same thing. So, yeah. so all of that, that stuff that happened in the past, I think, uh, has, has more, more or less been reconciled on some sort of official level anyway. That's not to say that there's still not the, the Catholic-Protestant divide and, and, and some antagonism there. But um, just on a theological level, I think most people admit that if they study this, that, wait a second, no. This yeah, is, you do have to— you, you have to actually live a good life. You have to be yeah. a good person. Yeah. Right? You, don't, you can't just— And that flows from the very thing, faith, that you're professing, right? Yeah. And you live it in grace. It's that simple. Like, you're not going to actually do it upon your own power. But in order to participate with grace, you you have to act. You have to cooperate with it. It's not just going to take over and suspend your free will, right? Um, grace has to be in union with your will, mm-hmm. and and those things come out as human acts, which we call works. So yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to ask you. So Saint Paul, um, early on in his teachings, would he still practice the traditions of the Jews? So yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting. Um, you know, element, if you go back to actually the apostles, this was one of the great first great controversies of the church. Mm-hmm. And it was, especially after this first missionary journey, as he was coming back, he, um, he actually uh, brought up this point that says, hey, I, I'm preaching this to the Gentiles, right? And none of them have a background in Judaism, right? None of them know the Mosaic law. We should not have to have them become Jews first in order to become Christians. And this was some great debate. Basically, hey, should they have to be circumcised? Mm-hmm. Right. That was the, the great question is, should all the Gentiles have to be circumcised? And uh, the conclusion of that first uh, church council, the Council of Jerusalem, was no, they, they need not be circumcised. Um, basically, baptism is sufficient. That's what the, the initiation into the church is. Um, and then they had some prescriptions about, you know, uh, things that were kind of very offensive to the Jews that, that would have been like, you know, just given a pagan background. If you're coming out of a pagan background, things like eating meat sacrificed to idols and things like that. It was so embedded in, in uh, the Jewish law about the sacrifice and sort of the laws regulating sacrificial offerings that it was so abhorrent that more or less the council said, yeah, and stop doing those things too. Um, that it's that's just not a good idea to basically put yourself close to pagan worship like yeah. that. Yeah, you know? and what uh, yeah. something interesting about that. Um, I can't remember the verse exactly. I don't know if you know it off the top of your head, but when he talks about that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says basically like, if you see that it's a sin, don't eat it. Yeah. If if it's obviously that it's not a sin, then eat it. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think that goes a lot with. Um. I was listening to. I I think I want to say it was Matt Fred. I can't remember who it was, but he was talking about this verse specifically, and he was saying this can go with our life too. And basically, you know, when you ask yourself, is this a sin? Um, and then you don't know the answer, so you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's really not how this worked. I mean, like, look into yeah. it. I mean, if you're saying, I think this is a sin, but I'm not sure if it's not a sin, but then then you're really just turning away from Christ in that instance because you think yeah. it's a sin. Yeah, um, and, and that goes back to just the way the the conscience is, your conscience is binding, right? Even if it's an erroneous conscience, right? Even if it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, ill-formed conscience, right? Because at that moment, what's actually happening is your conscience is asking the question, right? And because it's asking the question, 
eh, maybe this is wrong, maybe this is not. And you can't come to some sort of like definitive, you know, reasoned answer, right? The, the conscience actually binds you to sort of err on the side of caution, if you will. Like, yeah. um, and, and if you think it might be wrong, uh, then, then it, your conscience is binding as if it was wrong. Now, you may come out, you know, as you educate and inform your conscience more, that in fact, that wasn't wrong, right? But now you know that it, that's not wrong. Yeah. Um, it, it, it maybe an example uh, to clarify this or, or make it clear would be, uh, you know, if someone believes, say, something is a mortal sin, even though it's a venial sin, they're actually obligated to treat it as a mortal sin just from the standpoint of if they choose against it, they're willfully, even erroneously, uh, choosing to commit what they think to be a mortal sin, right? So, so they have, even though it might an object be a venial sin, right? Because of where their conscience and the conscience binds in such a way, um, it, it kind of goes into more that, that intent of, of the doer that, well, no, I'm, I think erroneously, uh, but unbeknownst to me that this is wrong, I, I ought to choose that. Or, or like I am going to choose that still, and, yeah. um, and so that it binds in in the same way. In some ways, it's your subjective rejection of the moral order. Yeah. So it, it's the same dynamic I think going on with um, just the you know don't don't distress your brother if you think this you know eating meat sacrificed to idols is is maybe wrong or it's going to offend your brother. Yeah, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, it's that that whole idea of. Uh just don't separate yourself from Christ basically. And that's what, that's what a mortal sin is, is you're separating yourself from Christ. And it's like, if you think this is going to separate you from Christ, the obvious answer is don't do it. Don't do it. Until you can look into it and say, okay, this isn't offensive to Christ. Yeah. So therefore it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Did I interrupt you on, on? No, I think, okay. Yeah. I think, I I think (laughs) all things come full circle, right? Yes. All things come full circle. But yeah. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought here, but um, um, St. Paul and I guess the modern church, I guess, how can we see that, that he, the way that he shaped, you know, 2000 years ago or, or yeah. what have you from, from then and how, what was his impact? And we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, how much of an impact he was, but, specific, but specifically what, what kind of impact did he have on this church, on the church? Like today? Yeah. Church today? Yeah. Um, well, I think we get one, a lot of our, our theology gets drawn from the New Testament. So just from that standpoint, if uh, I, I've heard it said, and I forget where I've heard this, but, you know, um, you know, without St. Paul, we don't have St. Augustine. Without St. Augustine, we don't have St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- there's this patrimony <clears throat> through the ages of these great doctors and theologians uh, of the church. But in, in a lot of ways, they rest upon the writings and the instructions of Paul in the New Testament. So I think just through the ages, that's that's huge, right? Because when you look at, you know, pick up the catechism and read the catechism and start just making a list of every time either Thomas Aquinas or Augustine is cited directly in, in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And you will start to see, whoa, wait a second, just in terms of our, our doctrine and our dogmas and our formulation of theology, those two doctors of the church in particular um, are pillars 
uh, for the Catholic Church because of just the clarity and the length and breadth and depth of what they wrote upon. I mean, they, they covered it all, if you want to. I mean, they, they left no stone unturned um, in some ways. So, so I think that all kind of rests or is rooted in the writings of Paul. Um, but then I think about just the missionary work of the church right now and the new evangelization. So Paul, he was out doing the first evangelization, right? The, the first missionary tour of the world to essentially convert pagan humanity to, to Christianity and to the truth. We're in a different situation now, right? We're, we're basically in the wreckage and uh, the ruins of, of Christendom. Um, that ship has sailed long ago. And we're left with this so-called new evangelization where a lot of people have still been sacramentalized, right? Maybe they were baptized as a baby or received all their sacraments, but they've been away from the church. Uh, or we live in this sort of uh, framework or husk of a Christian culture where there's still some of the, the symbols and the structures and the heritage of a Christian culture around us. And that's maybe making it have at least an outward appearance of, of Christianity on some levels. But at the heart of it, secularism has rejected this and most people live secular lives. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, we have a lot to draw from Paul because we have a lot of missionary work to do. And you know, we're on a college campus, right? So we're very mission focused in the sense that we know very distinctly a college campus is, is uh, fertile mission territory. And that students come here expecting to encounter new and bold ideas, uh, a different, different ways of life and things like that. And we have something compelling to offer them. And honestly, they're pretty willing to adopt one way or the other if you can just reach them and make the compelling case. And, and not just on an intellectual level, but then back it up with your love and your friendship. And I think by doing that, you know, we can draw a lot of inspiration and intercession from St. Paul because this is how he operated, right? He mm -hmm. would go into these communities and they weren't quick visits. He would live years you know, in these different churches that he founded uh, along the way getting to know people. And if you read some of his later letters, he, he requests from prison, hey, please send me so-and-so. Uh, they're very valuable to me. They're very dear to me. Uh, he mentions these deep relationships that he has with people. These aren't just, you know, business acquaintances. There's a deep love that he has for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, read, read the, the letters to Timothy and Titus. And you see this, this father to son kind of relationship that's going on. Um, there's a lot of love that he has for these people. And so from that standpoint, I think we have a lot to take from, from St. Paul on how to do this thing called mission and evangelization. Like the, the, the framework, the, the blueprint, if you will, hasn't changed, right? It's very relational. We have to preach the gospel, preach it truly, preach it simply in every possible way that we can. And then, and then we have to sustain, right? This can't be something that we turn off at five o'clock and then flip back on at eight o'clock the next morning. Mm -hmm. This is a whole life endeavor. And that doesn't mean you, ever, you can't ever go and have a break and watch a baseball game at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it, it, is, it is a thing that says every breath that I take is, is for Christ, right? Um, that, that everything that I'm doing is for this mission, that it's Christ dwelling in me that's our hope for glory. You know, it's Christ in you that's the point. And, and I want more and more people to have that Christ life in them. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I think that's where we get our inspiration from St. Paul is, is that what he did, 
hasn't expired. It's not become outdated. It's not obsolete. Right? Mm-hmm. What St. Paul did is exactly what we ought to be doing in our own right now, in our own culture, um, knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to inspire, just like the Holy Spirit inspired and directed him along the way where he didn't necessarily know what was next. So a lot of times we don't know what the next thing that we need to do or to say or encounter, or how do I get out of this jam? Yeah. Uh, but just have the same confidence that, that the Lord is moving this. We're not moving it. We just have to be sort of those willing vessels that he can dwell within and move us in the direction to preach his gospel. Yeah, and I'm happy you brought up the the relationship point because it's, I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they probably didn't hate each other. They were probably pretty good friends. Yeah, I think they were pretty tight. Maybe at the the beginning of things, they were like, who's this guy? This guy, you know, he probably did some messed up things in his past, you know? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They might have butted heads a little bit at the beginning, but I'm pretty sure by the end they were um, um, pretty close. Um, Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, yeah, Timothy and Titus too, and it's uh, that relationship aspect. And then another thing I think we can look at what St. Paul did is, you know, following up. You know, mm-hmm. when, when Ham and Barnabas, when they separate, they, they go back. Yeah. And they go and make sure that the, the their teachings are still being taught to other people and that they're teaching it right. And exactly. they're, they're going back to these nations and they're like, they're following up and saying, hey, how's it going, guys? Yeah. Any questions? I got the answers. Yeah. And, and if you're not doing the right thing, you might get a letter like the Galatians got where he calls them out and says, oh, you stupid Galatians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and takes them to task for it. So... So I think that is important because they're real relationships. There's real love and concern for the people that it's not a one and done thing. And, and that, that I would even draw is something very distinct from Catholic mission and evangelization versus uh, a lot of the forms of, of non-denominational or evangelical Protestantism when they go on mission, right? Um, and again, I don't want to paint too broadly here because uh, there's, there's a lot of people that, that are doing a lot of great work. But too often what ends up happening is you have these altar call moments, right? And there's not any follow-up, right? It's kind of a, the the objective is a one and done thing such that, you know, when they go and do it and somebody comes up and says whatever simple prayer that they say makes their altar call, wow, that person is saved. We can walk away now, right? And again, I don't want to broad brush it too much, right? Because I actually know a lot of uh, great evangelical Protestants who uh, do a lot of great work. And while they have the mindset, that's the moment that person was saved, they also continue on in relationship with those people. So again, I want to be really careful here that I'm not like sort of beating too bluntly here. But it yeah. is a very different thing because the Catholic version of it is far more incarnational and almost familial based, right? Th- this notion of relationship is inseparable. Um, even if the relationship sours in some way, um, if you look at even the state of the church right now, it's, it's a big family and it's a little messed up right now. And, uh, yet the solution is not to leave the family. Yeah. Right. Here we are like, well, no, this is the family. I'm going to have to see this one out. Um, so it's, I would maybe just sum it up as like this permanency in our mission and evangelization that, that we're not seeing to like just kind of leave people behind, although people will come and go in our life, but, but that there is this sort of permanency to, to the call that I'm never done with this, right? We got to keep returning back to that. Yeah. If Paul was around today, do you think America would be getting a letter? America would definitely <laughs> be getting a letter. Yeah, yeah. no, that probably would have happened around in the 70s. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> oh, you stupid Americans. Yeah, no. No, but yeah, no, on a... I think on a, a final note, I wanted to talk about 
just, yeah, be encouraged by St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about all the, the boldness he showed and, and the New Testament and going to just re- read his story. If you don't know his story, like go and read um, the book of Acts. I yeah. mean, it is inspiring what he did. And we talk about all the time how easy it is, I think, for us here. Just because, you know, we wake up in the morning and we surround ourselves with, you know, people who agree on the same thing. I can yeah. go up to you and I can talk to you about basically anything and we can yeah. have agreeing viewpoints. But a lot of people who are probably listening to this or, yeah, a lot of people who are listening to this probably don't do not do that. I mean, right. even if you're a college student, you go and you're surrounded by people with different ideas. Um, if you're going into, you know, if you're in the workforce and you're going to work somewhere, you probably are surrounded with, with people who... Um, don't have any similar viewpoints as you like be bold and preach the gospel when you can and, and stand up for the gospel. Right? Yeah. <coughs> and w- with great courage, mm-hmm. because I mean, that boldness and courage, it'll probably cost you something, you know, you'll be like, labeled maybe as that crazy Christian guy, but yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, the secular opponents that be, they, they like to do this like twisting around. They'll call you a bigot. They'll yeah. call you hateful things like that, when really, you know, the internal content of Christianity is in the Gospels is love, right? And, and greater freedom for people, greater happiness and joy. And what you're running up against is, is their own, um, you know, guilty conscience and, and own life commitments that they don't want to face. And so they, they rage and they fight for those things, and they'll come after you, you know, sometimes ruthlessly if, uh, if you encounter one. Most people, I think, you know, like the 80 to 90 percent are are just so lulled into complacency and comfort. Uh, they're just kind of apathetic, probably. But that that very loud slice can be kind of aggressive. It's just uh, uh, just the secular culture, the way that it is. Yeah. And I, I think it's intimidating. I think we talked about this in our um, missionary podcast where we had the missionaries on. And I think it's super intimidating just to be expected to know everything and just know you aren't expected to know anything. You don't have to know everything, but also know that there is an answer to, I I haven't looked online or been told an argument against Catholicism that doesn't have a great answer for it. So I think, uh, you know, if you're, um, this is turning into an uh, apologetic uh, podcast, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if you're faced with like those questions that you don't know, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I can get back to you, but I just don't know the answer to that because they're, they're, most likely is an answer yeah. to it. And, and, and going back to that relational component of it, right? If, if it's established in relationship rather than I just want to win an argument, yeah. you'll have the opportunity to go back and revisit that. Uh, if it's a one-off, someone on the street just kind of hassles you about, I don't know, whatever, however the thing got brought up. All right, well, just shake the dust off your feet then too. It's like, well, okay, you're probably not uh, going to have an opportunity to get back to give them that, that answer. But, but knowing when it's in relationship... There's a lot less pressure too to say, oh wow, I gotta know everything all the time right off the top of my head. I still like there's times when I'll walk away from a conversation, I'm like, I should have said this, or wow, why didn't I think of that? You know? Yeah. Um that I, I I that's like almost a hundred percent of the time. That's my reaction walking away from those, you know, apologetics type discussions. It's like, oh, I could have said so much more. I, I I can't believe I forgot to say this other thing. So Yeah, get their number, invite them out for a beer yeah. or something and just you know, have a good discussion about yeah. it. I mean, a lot of the times if people are actually open to learning about it, um, they'll, they'll be willing to talk about it. But, you know, if there's those people who are just in it to get a gotcha moment from you, they're yeah. not going to be willing to yeah, uh, it's like, change their mind anyway. So Yeah, exactly. Like it's, the people on, if you're on social media like and you're, you're typing away, get them. Combox you know, warrior. A, yeah, keyboard warrior or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. It's like, 
you're not going to change anyone's mind. No. I mean, if you want to for fun, just to go on and, yeah. and do it, like you, you do you. I'm, I've never been a big fan of that, but yeah. <laughs> if you want to, yeah. I don't it, think you're going to change anyone's mind. No, it could be a way to hone your own own debate skills in some way. Yeah, know, to, it, it, to can, it can it, be. But um, but yeah, I. I'm sure there's people out there been like, yeah, I was definitely changed by a comment yeah. in a combo. I'm not dishing <laughs> it in any way. I mean, if if you like yeah. to to do that, then go ahead. But, yeah. um, and yeah, like you said, it could it could uh, you know strengthen an argument or yeah, or you could see the flaws in an argument or yep. what have you. But yeah, but speak boldly, be like Paul, right? Yeah. Any final sure. comments from you? Yeah, just I think you know, I think we should pray for his intercession more often, just as Catholics. Again, we pray for a lot of saints' intercession, but uh, especially in this day and the a- day and age, where not only are we surrounded by you know uh, government forces, you know, like similar to the Roman Empire that are becoming very hostile towards Christianity and faith, but even pagan practices, you know, witchcraft and things like this are are actually on the rise, and in some ways, uh, we're returning back to this strange pseudo climate that the early church existed in and i think we can draw a lot of uh, inspiration and intercession from those early saints that were were the seeds of the faith for the whole world that you know walked with christ that encountered christ and and that passed on this this great inheritance that we've all received by our baptism so um let's just you know don't be afraid to ask their intercession uh, in your time of need you know when you're going out on mission when you're going to have that conversation with somebody, they're there for you. Church, tri- church triumphant in heaven. Like that's part of the church too. Let's uh, let's lean on them. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Well said. All right. Well, um, share, like, subscribe to these uh, these podcasts. If you found it, it interesting, share it with a friend, um, especially if they didn't know much about St. Paul. Hopefully we answered a bunch of questions for you and hopefully we, we gave some good points. Uh, go read Acts. Um, before you even listen to this episode again, go read Acts. I'm sure you want to listen to it twice. Right? All right. Well, God bless. <laughs>